Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here. That was the video from Disciple Now uh, last weekend. Matthew, what a wonderful job just appointing our students to Jesus. And they had a wonderful weekend. And then last Sunday was phenomenal here. And I just praise God for all that he did at D Now. Amen? Amen. I do have a few announcements for you this morning, um, and Brother Randy told me that I need to announce that everybody was supposed to bring a bag lunch today because uh, I'm going to go through one whole chapter, and so he was concerned that we were going to be here a little while today, but that's not the case. But uh, I do have a few announcements. We do have uh, our Seder meal uh, coming up on April 14th and 15th, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the evening on Thursday and Friday. In the fellowship hall, cost is $5. Now, I'm sharing this announcement with you, but we've had sign-up for about a week, and out of the 200 tickets that we have, we have five left. So if you are interested, the only day that we have left is Thursday, and Brother Randy will be out in the lobby um, at the events table for you, or at the welcome table, um, if you are interested in, in coming and being a part of that. Now, many people have asked, David, will we actually eat Yes, we will actually have dinner, so that $5 covers your dinner for you to eat um, as we take part in the Seder meal and reflecting back to how Jesus has fulfilled all the promises that we see, all, all, all the prophecies that we see. The second thing I want to share is our senior adult luncheon is coming up on April 21st at the Connie Hudson Senior Center. If you're interested, you can sign up at $7, and that is at our events table. Um, And then I have one more announcement that I want to share with you. Uh, You know, we celebrated the very first Sunday in January that we have completely paid off the debt here at Luke 418 Fellowship. And we rejoice in all that God has done in and through that. And many people have asked, David, uh, as you shared with us, one of the reasons that we were working towards paying that off was because we're in need of space. And so I wanted to share, kind of give you a, a brief update Um, we have actually began getting surveys so that we know what all the options are available. Um, So right now where we're at is we're walking through getting surveys to see the the, the couple acres behind us that we have and, and the topography. I heard a topograph. I never knew what a topograph was, but the topography of the land and all those different things. So I want you to know that we are moving forward with that. And I praise God this past Sunday... We were 20 to 30 people away from pre-COVID numbers here at Luke 418. And I rejoice over that. Amen? When COVID first hit, I told everybody, well, in two weeks, we'll be back to normal. Um, here we are two years later. And, uh, but I praise God for all that He is doing. And I'm so thankful for those that are online with us and, and being a part with us today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time this morning. Father, we praise your holy name. You are a good, good Father. And Father, as we come into this place today, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be prepared. It says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? He who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Father, I pray that we would spend just as much time preparing our heart this morning as we did 
to prepare our outer self to come. Father, that we would focus in and recognize that we are coming to worship together the great I am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For you are holy, holy, holy. So Father, this morning as we begin this time, I pray that you would search our hearts, O God. Father, that we would have clean hands and a pure heart. Father, that as we come into this place, that you would receive our incense of praise as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for worshiping with us, whether you're here or online. Uh, just today, we, we have lived for the past two years in a world that is ever-changing. But we have a God who never changes. Amen? Let's stand together and say that He's our solid rock and our cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing it together. Here we go. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that again. My hope is built. My hope is built Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Sing it out. But wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same.
trumpet sound Oh may I then in him be found Amen Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne Sing this with me this way Christ together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Amen. That's our story this morning. Would you sing that doxology one more time with me? Let's say it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. Sing it to Him. Creatures here as we continue in worship. This is one of my favorite modern worship songs. And it tells about our our testimony that in our nothingness and in our unrighteousness, He was there. And He gave us a grace that could never be taken away. We are held in the palm of His hand and there's nothing in this world that's going to take us out. His grace is unchanging, unrelenting, is always there right by our side, greater than our past, our pain, our shame. And we can give that grace out through the Holy Spirit to those around us. So I pray that that we would have more opportunities to share Him even today. Amen? Let's sing this together. Sometimes I'm strong. Sometimes I'm strong. Sometimes I'm weak. Sometimes I fall in my wandering. But through it just one thing more precious than the air I breathe. Grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace that saved my soul. Grace, Amazing 
not alone he is worthy he is holy 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 and that's what this song says let's sing this in anticipation from the sky will part and he will descend and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will be with him and we will be like him forever amen worthy is the lamb who was slain holy holy Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the
Absolutely and totally overwhelmed by who you are. That you are right here beside us, day in and day out. We can trust in you. We can talk to you. And we know that Jesus is at your right hand praying for us, interceding for us. Lord, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for that overwhelmingly it was for love that you sent your son. For you so loved the world, you gave your one and only son. Not that the world is to be condemned, but that through Jesus it would be saved. I pray that when people look at our life, Lord, that they would see you. And that they would know that our king is a king of mercy and of grace. That does not abide sin, but leads into a new life. Being a new creation in you. Lord, clean us. Make us whole and and let us walk in your way. In Jesus' name, we say amen. Some are known by great authority. As far as eyes can see In royal robes they rule from thrones Waging war they overthrow And call it victory My king is known by mercy And the power that 
with thorns upon his brow. What kind of king would leave his throne and make my sin and shame his own? Yet he gave his life for me. after that. You know, as I sat there and just listened to the song, my king is known by mercy, by love. You know, I don't think I've ever really recognized the first part of that song where it says many people are known by victory through really hurting others. But our king is known by giving his life out of love and mercy and grace. 
As I began to just let that sink in for a moment, I, I got overwhelmed just sitting there. Because I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. All of us were sheep that had gone astray, enslaved to the enemy, destined for hell. But God, rich in mercy, in His love, He gave His Son to die on the cross for you and for me. Church, I pray that we would never get over that. I pray that when we wake up in the morning that we would say, Father, I want to be used for your glory because you gave your son to die on the cross taking what I deserve. Taking and satisfying the wrath of God and imputing upon me, placing upon me the righteousness of your son. Church, we don't deserve that. I pray that we don't become callous to the fact that Jesus went to the cross for you and for me, and today we live in His mercy and His grace and His love. I pray that we get overwhelmed today. As we pick back up Daniel chapter 5 today, There's quite a bit of reading, but I'm going to skip a little bit of it so that you can read at home some of Daniel 5. But many years have passed now. Daniel's probably around 80 years old, is what many commentary would would believe that he is. And there's a situation that's about to happen called the writing on the wall. Now it's interesting that we use that as a slang term today. We will say, oh, the writing is on the wall. Basically saying to somebody, do you not recognize what's about to happen? Do you not see? I can see what's going to happen. The writing's on the wall. This is going to take place. But in this passage, when we look at Daniel 5, we see that the writing on the wall is not something that we want to have happen in our own life. Let's pick up in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to, I'm going to go from verse 1 to verse 9, and then I'm going to jump to verse 16 and 17, and then we'll read the end of Daniel 5. I'll share with you as I go from passage to the next. Daniel 5, verse 1, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wife and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the little g-gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly a finger of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw uh, the back of the hand and, and that the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who read 
repeats this description and explains his interpretation to me, shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. We're going to skip down to verse 16. Now he is speaking to Daniel, but I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretation and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck. And you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your reward to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known. Verse 22. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the little g-gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whom, whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Many, many, tekel, a parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficit. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belteshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. But look at verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar and the Chaldean king, the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius, the Medes, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel 5 the writing on the wall, and giving this to us for us to understand what you are speaking first to Belshazzar, to the exiles, and ultimately to us today. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your name. Amen. First thing I want us to see here today, and you'll see the points up on the screen, is Belshazzar's sin. Now, Belshazzar's sin is... The same that Nebuchadnezzar struggled with. Y'all remember what Nebuchadnezzar, he struggled with pride, right? He walked out and he said, look at all that I have done. And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And in humbling Nebuchadnezzar, he put him out into the fields. And he ate like an animal. And his mind left him until eventually, after seven years, he came to an understanding that God truly is 
the God of all, Jesus Christ, ultimately Yahweh at this moment, because they didn't know the name of Jesus at this point, but Yahweh was the God of gods, and that there was none other. Here, Belshazzar throws a great feast for a thousand or more. And as they have this, pride and arrogance swells up in him. And everybody's looking at Belshazzar thinking, he's the man. He has all authority. Look at the power that Belshazzar has. And he said, you know what? To even boast even more and to share even more in the pride, I want y'all to bring the vessels that were taken from Jerusalem. And I want you to bring those out, and we're going to drink from those vessels. What he was saying in this moment is that I am bigger than the God of Israel. What he was saying in this moment was Nebuchadnezzar defeated the God of Israel. He was placing a mockery upon Yahweh. The problem is, in part of the passage that we didn't read, that you can go home and read towards the end of Daniel 5, is that he had been warned, Belshazzar had been warned, as Daniel brings to his memory, did you not hear? Did you not know? You've been told all that happened to Nebuchadnezzar and how God humbled him. But then Daniel says this at the end. He says, but you have known this and you have not humbled your heart. So we see this, this drunkenness and the celebration and this self-awareness uh, uh, of, of being able to take care of themselves, their self-sufficiency. Church, do we not see that today? So often as we've walked through the book of Daniel, I've shared with you that we see so much that we live in, in a state of Babylon in our world today, do we not see people boasting in their self-sufficiency? Do we not see people in their celebration of their wealth and drunkenness, always seeking out happiness and fulfillment from everything but Jesus Christ? Do we not see our nation and across the world making a mockery of God by placing their trust in little g gods that cannot provide salvation for them? Let me just share with you what the scripture says in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." Let me just remind you what it said at the beginning of that. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God. But they gave themselves over to the things of this world. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us also, But realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Does that happen today? 
Absolutely. Lovers of money, does that happen? Yes. I can say yes to all these, so I'll just continue to read. Boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, uh, malice, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here it is. <clears throat> excuse me, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. I call that religion. Holding to a form of godliness but yet have denied the power of God. They make a mockery of God when you say that, 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 that you're holding to the form of godliness but God has no power and He has no strength. Church, we see today the same sin of Belshazzar and the pride and the arrogance of self-sufficiency, thinking that we can make it on our own. But Belshazzar had an experience where the hand showed up. The hand of God began to, to, to write, and look at his response here. His face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. Many of you, you've had that experience. I don't fully know what it means by his hips, joints went slack. But I'm guessing that he just like slumbered over. And his knees began to shake and knock against each other. Can I tell you that I believe Belshazzar had the quickest sobering up of any person ever. In that moment, in his drunkenness, he sees the hand of God on the wall and his face grows pale, his hips go slack and his knees begin to knock. Church, as I was beginning to think and pray over this and asking the Lord to give me that understanding and application, the Lord just put this on my heart the last couple of weeks. Can you imagine seeing this person who had everything, all authority, and all of a sudden he realized something was major wrong and he is not in control anymore? But church, can you fathom what it's going to be like for someone who thought religion would save them? Can you fathom what it would be like for someone who thought good works would save them? Can you fathom what it would be like for someone who said, I'm an atheist and I turn from God, I don't want anything, he doesn't even exist, or someone who is in a false religion and they die their last breath and they stand before the holiness of God, recognizing that the only way that they would be able to stand is by the blood of Jesus that they did not receive. And in that moment, it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But can you imagine the response of that person? I think that it would put Belshazzar's response to shame. What happens in that moment? Church, we see... Belshazzar's sin of pride and arrogance, how he did not listen to those who have gone before. We see his response of fear. His response of, I'm not in control, something's wrong, I can't interpret it. And then he called on all the wise men of Babylon. I mean, come on, this is the third time, church, that they've called on the wise men of Babylon. And let me tell you, it's the third time the wise men of Babylon could not answer the call. You would think they would get a clue. Then his wife says, well, or, or uh, she says, the queen says, hey, you need to, there's a guy named Daniel who's not there. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what we see, what scared him was the hand of God. 
The second thing we see is the hand of God. Let me remind you in Galatians 6, it says, God will not be mocked. You shall reap what you sow. Here, Belshazzar is making a mockery of God, drinking out of the vessels, and ultimately saying that he is greater than Yahweh. God confronts the sin of the king by writing a decree upon the wall. Now you may say, David, do you truly believe that this is the finger or the hand of God? This is why I believe that, and I go back to Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And in Exodus 31, verse 18, it says this. It says, When he had finished speaking to Moses with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Deuteronomy also, chapter 9, verse 10, we won't read it, you can write it down and go look at it, but it speaks of the same thing. That it was written in the tablets by the finger of God. I believe that that this was the, the hand, the finger of God writing a decree, and let me tell you, when God lifts his finger and writes a decree, it will take place. It is final. It is determined. It will happen. Church, I want to tell you that I believe that the handwriting is on the wall for our nation. But let me go further. I believe that the handwriting is on the wall for our world. And in speaking that, we must look closely at the interpretation. So I'm going to jump to the interpretation for just a moment. Daniel speaks the interpretation and he says, God has numbered your days. You have been weighed on the scale and you have found lacking. God has weighed you upon the scale and found lacking and your kingdom will be taken from you. Church, Belshazzar was weighed upon the scales On one side is the standard or the holiness of God, and the other side is his righteous deeds. And he was found lacking. Church, I truly believe that this is very important for us to recognize that the writing is on the wall for our nation and for the world. And that every person will be weighed And all of us have been found lacking. But praise God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that when he looks upon a believer, one who is born again, he does not see our filthy rags, he does not see our uh, self-righteousness, our sin, our struggles, all of the, the junk in our life, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And let me just tell you, it says in the scripture that God imputes upon us the righteousness of his son. That word means rightful standing. We have, as a born-again believer, one who believes in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have the rightful standing that Jesus has before the holiness of God. Not because of our good works, not because of our deeds, not because of our religion, not because of our membership at Luke 4.18, but on the account of the blood of Jesus Christ. But church, this interpretation, this writing on the wall, 
there's two major things that I believe are written about America and our world. And one is that the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. John 3.36 tells us, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Romans 1, 18 through 20, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident around us. Church, the writing is on the wall that the wrath of God is coming upon those who are disobedient and do not turn from their sin. Can I tell you that I, I, I've struggled with this over the last couple of weeks, but I feel like sometimes we take the wrath of God almost uh, for granted and don't even like really think about it. Let me give you an example. When, how many of you uh, loved or enjoyed the story of uh, Noah and the ark as a kid, right? You got the little boat and all these animals. Like It's kind of like God's like zoo, right? Like You get to see all the animals. The giraffe is sticking out the side, right? Anybody have that as a kid, right? Anybody do a nursery in, uh, in Noah's ark? What's interesting is this. We think about... One side of Noah's Ark, we think about the salvation of Noah and others and his family, right? We think about the salvation of the two animals of each kind on that Ark. And by the way, if you haven't been to the Ark Encounter, let me give a plug. You need to go. It's incredible. You may say, how did God make it so big? When you get there, you say, why did he make it so big? It's huge. It's incredible. I love Answers in Genesis. Support them. I just They are incredible. You need to go see it. But here's the thing. What we forget is we, we talk about this like nursery story of the ark and, you know, uh, Noah was to build an arky arky, right? Y'all remember? And, and he built this ark and the animals came on and all this stuff. But what we miss in that is that the ark was there because of the wrath of God coming upon the disobedience of the world. Church, the reason that God called Noah to build an ark was because he was about to wipe out all mankind. And you start thinking about this side of the story, you don't want to make your nursery out of Noah's Ark. Sometimes we look at the cross. We see salvation, right? Praise God. We rejoice in that. But do we recognize that the cross wasn't that beautiful? It was a, a, a crucifixion, something that they used to, to ultimately bring about humility upon Jesus to kill him. And let me tell you, the wrath of God was satisfied by Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me. We beautify it in salvation, praise God. But we miss that the wrath of God God was satisfied through Jesus upon the cross. Church, hear me out. The writing is on the wall that the wrath of God is coming upon those who are disobedient and turn, and don't turn, excuse me, do not turn from their wicked ways. You say, why? Because God, first off, it's because of the sin in Genesis 3. But let me tell you that he sent his son to die on the cross, which means that somebody who does not turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior means they had to go over the cross. They had to step over it. Jesus said in Romans 1, God said in Romans 1 through, through Paul, said that all of them knew 
God's character, everything is shown through creation, but yet they continue to suppress the truth. So we see church. You may say, but David, well, we'll get there in a minute. The third thing we see is Daniel's response. We see Belshazzar's sin. We see the hand of God, the writing on the wall, first off for Belshazzar, but then how do we see it today? Is that the wrath of God is coming upon those? And there was a second part about the hand of God that I wanted you to know is that the second coming of God is coming. But the third thing we see is Daniel's response. First off, let me just share this. Daniel wasn't there. Isn't that interesting? Daniel wasn't there partying with the king. Now, we don't know whether he was invited and declined or whether he just was forgot about. Alistair Begg, in his book Brave, that I've shared with you all about Daniel, he says Daniel was sidelined. That the culture sidelined Daniel. They didn't need him anymore. Have you ever felt sidelined in our culture? But what's interesting, as Alistair Begg brings to point, is that when things go haywire, when things get out of control, guess what happens to the Christians that have been sidelined? Oftentimes they're brought to center stage. Is that not what happened with Daniel? All of a sudden, Belshazzar had nowhere to turn. Man, there's been like a hand writing on the wall, and none of my wise people know what it's about. And Belshazzar says, uh, bring in Daniel. What's really interesting, and I skipped this part, you can go read it this, tonight, today, but what's really interesting is the description of Daniel. Talking about how he has understanding, and that how his God has, has spoken through him, and all these just incredible things, and I'm like, why in the world did you not go to Daniel first? But Daniel's response, he shows up, and he does not... He does not mock the king. He doesn't tell the king what he wants to hear. But he tells him directly what is happening. Church, I'm reminded. As I look out in our world and I see what's happening over in Europe and Ukraine and other places. I hear of the destruction and the terror that's happening. But let me tell you, in the midst of that, here's what I hear is that the church, the true born-again believers, are being the hands and feet of God. They've been called to the center stage. And they've been prepared for this moment, and they're proclaiming the gospel. Church, when, when we feel sidelined, what do we do? Daniel continued following God. He continued in prayer, studying the Old Testament. He continued serving God. And so that when he was brought to the center stage, he was prepared to share and prepared to give an answer. Are we prepared in our nation that when something takes place, such as 9-11 or other things that fills the church, are we prepared, church, to proclaim and to speak when the nation says you're sidelined and they bring us to center stage? It's not that we say, oh, now you're going to bring us to center. No, we say out of grace and mercy, let me tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know the answer to what's going on in our society? It's Jesus. What the culture is expecting us to do is say, "Mm, I told you so. I've been telling you all this time. 
But what we must do is we must walk according to the word of God, show grace and mercy and love, and present his truth, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest, church. Daniel, he comes in center stage and he offers, he's offered by the king all the worldly things. But you know what Daniel knew? Is that within like 12 hours, those things wouldn't be worth anything. See, Daniel knew, hey, listen, you can offer me a third of the kingdom, but I also know that in 12 hours, you aren't going to be king anymore. Daniel recognized that the worldly possessions were going to fade away. Now, for him, it was 12 hours or somewhere around there. For us, who knows how long. But church, do we recognize, as Daniel did, that the things of this world are going to pass away? Daniel said, you can keep your stuff. Give it to someone else. It didn't change in Daniel what he was going to do. His job was to proclaim the truth. He was not rude, but he was direct about what will happen. What did Daniel speak? He said that your days have been numbered. You've been weighed and you have been found lacking. We see here that he comes and recognizes that Ephesians 1, now he didn't have Ephesians 1, but we know that Ephesians 1 tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and none of those are material. He said, King, what you're offering me means nothing, but I'm going to do what I'm called to do and that's to proclaim the truth. Church, would we have the same response as Daniel? Not be rude and arrogant to the culture, but say, let me share with you about Jesus. I don't need your stuff. You don't have to offer me a bargain because what Jesus has given me is all I need. If all the things that I had in life passed away, but I have Jesus, I have everything. Daniel speaks that truth. Now church, I told you, believe it or not, we're going to get through the whole, the whole chapter today. But I want to share with you some application here at the end. I've shared a lot of application through this passage, through this story, but I want to bring it down to to two spiritual nuggets that we need to hear today. Let's go to the very last verse, verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was slain. Do you realize that while Belshazzar was throwing a party, Belshazzar said, I got everything. I'm the king. I've got, there's drunkenness, immorality, all these things that are happening. He's like, I'm good. While he's partying, the Medes and the Persians are creeping up on the camp. Think about this. If the Medes and Persians that same night overtook Belshazzar means that in the midst of his partying, in the midst of his celebration, in the midst of his pride, they are literally creeping into the camp. I read one historian that said that they dammed up the water so that they could walk under and through just where it wasn't over their head and they were able to quietly get in to the city. Church, God reminded me of Matthew 24, verse 36 through 44. Jesus says, but of that day, the day that I will return, it's a day that an hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. 
For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came, and it took them all away. So will the come of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. Therefore be on alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming. He would have been on alert. And would not allow his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Church, as I read that, I thought about this. The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall that the wrath of God is upon sinners. But praise God in His love and in His mercy and His grace, He sent His Son to die on the cross so that we could be set free first from the enemy and the wrath of God would be satisfied. The writing is on the wall that Jesus is coming back. Go back and read Matthew 24 today, and let me tell you, you're going to read our newspaper. We don't even have a newspaper. You're going to read our internet. Talks about wars and rumors of wars and famine and all these different things that are going to take place. And you say, David, do we, is Jesus about to come back? He sure is. It may be today and it may be 200 years from now, but let me tell you, it doesn't matter if it's today or 200 years, life is but a vapor. The writing is on the wall, church, that Jesus is coming back. So there's two major spiritual nuggets that you need to hear. First is you need to be prepared. You say, David, do I need to go and get a big tank at my house and fill it up with gas so when it gets to $8, I'll be fine? You say, David, I need to be prepared. Do I need to go and get some MREs? MRIs, meals ready to eat. MREs? And there's nothing wrong with these things, right? But what we must recognize is that our salvation is not found in our government. Our salvation is not found in our ability to make sure that we have everything taken care of. Our salvation is found in one and only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's no reason for us, if you are a born-again believer, to fear what is going to take place. These things are going to happen. The Bible says it so. You can argue about it all day long. I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe that's happened. I'm like, it's just fulfilling the, the word of God, church. So instead of us arguing about all these things, and I'm not saying that we're arguing a lot here. I, I don't know of any arguments. But Instead of arguing or discussing about all the things that are going to happen in our world, we need to make sure first that we're prepared, that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, the writing is on the wall. He's going to return, and you will be a found deficit in the scales. Why? Because the only way that you can be found uh, at the right place is when the blood of Jesus is upon you, and he has imputed upon you the righteousness of Jesus. There's no other way, church. 
You can go and do all these things trying to think that you're going to be okay to stand before the holiness of God, but I promise you, Jesus said, and his word is true, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First thing is we must be prepared. Personally. The second thing, the second thing, church, is that we must tell everybody. We must tell everybody. Here at Luke 4.18, know Christ intimately, grow in Him daily, and go in Christ. Church, the writing is on the wall for our culture. We must share with them. Jesus is going to return. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 200 years from now. But you don't know how much breath you have left. Even Daniel said to Belshazzar that God is the one who has your life breath in his hands. Church, Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples. Acts 1.8 tells us that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we'll be His witnesses. Church, we have a purpose. And that purpose is to build the kingdom of God. Not our own personal kingdoms, but God's kingdom. It's to go and to share with all the world. It's to take the gospel knowing that the day is coming, that God, all He has to do is lift His finger. And the shofar will blow. And Jesus will return. This past week, I had the opportunity to spend at Canacook camps. And Leslie and I had just such a blessing of being poured into. And while I was there, I read Heart Cry for Revival by Stephen Olford. And I was reading some of Brother Fred's book as, uh, as well. And I'm telling you, church, I have never felt the urgency of the hour. And you may say, David... So you mean to tell me, and I just, I just said, well, I don't know when Jesus is going to return. But the reason that the urgency is here today is because every breath I have is a gift of God. And every person that I come in contact with is a soul. And we must share with them that the only way to stand before the throne of God is by Jesus. Church, we must recognize, as Daniel was not rude to Belshazzar, but he spoke the truth. That's called grace and love. He was not, I told you so, but no, he said, let me share with you what's about to happen. Church, we must go take the gospel to all those around. Share with them. Share with them the truth so that the kingdom of God may continue to grow. The day is coming. The day is near. As I close, I heard a statistic, and I'll just be very transparent. I don't know if this statistic is 100% true, but it sure sounds good. And I kind of believe it because I've seen it in my own life. But I've heard a statistic that 70% of people that you have a relationship with that you personally invite will come to church with you, will come to worship with you. Isn't it interesting that the enemy tells us, oh, you know, they're not going to come. You don't need to invite them. 70% was the statistic that I heard last week. When you have a personal relationship and you ask them to come, church, would we... As Resurrection Sunday is just a few days away, 
three weeks from now, would we recognize that the writing's on the wall, share the gospel, invite others to come and be a part, for them to hear the truth, and we pray that they would turn. The writing's on the wall, but praise God for believers. The blood of the Lamb has been applied to the doorpost of our hearts. And because of that, we can stand, not in our own ability, but in the righteousness of Jesus. Let's pray.